And I do that all the time with the songs. I'm over here in my own world singing the wrong words and the wrong songs, and Nisi's squeezing my hand, laughing at me, and I can hear everybody else snickering. But guys, y'all just have to put up with me. That's the way it is. Amen. And uh, so anyway, so we're going to get into it tonight. Ecclesiastes in chapter 4 is where we're going to begin this evening. The verses are going to be on the screen, Lord willing, if that computer holds out tonight. That's what we want to do this evening. But Ecclesiastes obviously was written by, the, uh, by Solomon, the son of David. And uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a different book. You have, to, you have to read it through the lens of, of the time frame that it was written. You've got to lead it through the, read it through the lens of allowing the Holy Spirit to bear witness with your soul in what it needs to, to give you at that present moment. And so tonight we're going to look at just as springboard verses, verses chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and then we're going to find ourselves settling into Romans chapter 12 tonight. But the Bible says in verse 9 of chapter 4, the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I want to speak to you tonight on the idea of relationships. And in, in the bottom line, relationships can be peculiar. I, I think we can all agree to that. They can be precarious at times if, if, you, if you really stop and you think about what a relationship is. And, uh, but so many today believe that the I believe the basis or the fundamentals of a relationship have to differ between, say, a relationship of a husband and wife, a boyfriend and girlfriend, and just friends in general, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I realize that the outcome and, and obviously the purpose for, for different types of relationships, they do greatly differ. But uh, be it a husband, be it a wife, be it a, a friend, the fundamentals are the same when it comes to relationships. In other words, guys, the nuts and bolts of a successful relationship are going to be the same thing. They're going to be the same thing. That phrase, nuts and bolts, is, a, uh, is referring to a subject. Uh, it's, it's the subject is referring to the detailed practical aspects of a subject. And so tonight, I want to go over the detailed practical aspects of a successful relationship. Be it between friends, be it between coworkers, be it between neighbors, be it between husbands and wives. And why do you, you may say, why do you want to preach this? Well, because Valentine's Day is Wednesday. That's one reason, okay? I wanted to take a break on the Pure Series. We'll finish that up in the next two weeks. But I wanted to bring this thought that in reality popped into my head, and I'm not even going to ask you to understand how my brain works, but it popped in my head within a six to seven second period, and I thought, that's it right there. But relationships are the building blocks of our society. I mean, how well a community function reveals how unified, how fortified, as well as the formula of, the, of its foundation. It's relationships. When a society is built upon multiple agendas, when it's built upon false ideologies or, or the interposing of one's uh, power upon its subjects, the results are failed financial institutions. Failed governmental systems, decimated infrastructures. I mean, you can look around our country and other countries around the world, and you can see it very clearly. The result of ignorance making rules without the basis of societal functionality. The proof of this failure is seen every single day. It is the reality of society. It is the reality of government. It's the reality of business, homes, and especially relationships is this. And if you remember anything tonight, Remember what I'm getting ready to say. If you make no changes, you will get the same results. 
It's a simple statement. But if you make no changes, you'll get the same results. You keep putting the same people in the office, you're going to get the same devastating results. You keep allowing uh, your friendships and your relationships to be loose in your life, it's going to be the breakdown of your home. You keep leaving those areas in need of tightening and adjusting and flexing, and your relationships will eventually fall apart, whether it's a friend or whether it's a marriage. If you make no changes, you get the same result. Life, guys, is a moving entity. It is always constantly on the move, and therefore, within the nuts and bolts of a successful relationship, there are required areas that we must tighten, that we must fix, if you will. And remember this, especially those of us who drive all the time, patchwork is not repair work. Amen? I mean, my soul, man, I tell you what. People question whether or not, uh, they keep questioning whether or not man went to, to the moon. I don't know if they went to the moon. I believe they did personally. I'm not one of those conspiracy people, but I can tell you what it's like to drive on the moon from here to my house, amen. I hate a pothole, you know? And I got my wife over there as the navigator going, there's one, there's one there. I know they're there. I, I'm going to get pulled over for thinking I'm drink driving, you know, if I keep dodging all of them. Just run them over, but. All jokes aside, guys, you know, relationships, personal relationships are the same. The reality from our text tonight, just a springboard text that we'll move here in just a moment, two are better than one. I mean, when two are working together, they can assist one another. When one falls down, one can pick them up. Marriage and friendships work in the very same manner. And if you are going to have a successful relationship, be it a marriage or be it a friendship or both, you're going to have to be willing to do your part for the pair. You're going to have to be willing to pick up your partner, help up your mate, and lift up your spouse when the time is right. Now, here's one of the things that we always hear. I don't know about you, but instruction manuals. How many people like instruction manuals? Raise your hand. How many people read instruction manuals? Raise your hand. I knew the ladies would raise their hand, I figured, okay? Well, that's the problem, because the majority of instruction manuals today look like this. There's no words. And often, many a times, if there are words, they're in 40 different languages. The font's so small you can't read it. And then once you do figure out what it's, it's trying to say, it looks as if someone used Google Translate to make it say your, you know, what it's trying to tell you to do. And so oftentimes we hear that, you know, if only marriage came with an instruction manual. If only friendships came with an instruction manual. Now, beloved, they do. And here it is. Guys, if you think the Bible is the only a tool for spiritual guidance from this life into the next, man, you are missing the boat. As a matter of fact, you're not just missing the boat. You're not even on the dock. You're not even not on the dock. I don't think you're close to the pier. As a matter of fact, you may not even have bought your ticket yet if you think the Bible is only a book for spiritual guidance from this life into the next. We struggle with relationships because we don't adhere to what the Bible teaches us. We struggle with friendships because we don't take on board what we've been taught through Christian teaching, through the Word of God. Businesses, you name it, the home, whatever it may be. The Word of God is a one-stop shop for life. It is the basis of which we establish our faith and our practice. So with everything said tonight, I want to take a quick look, I hope it's quick, at the ABCs of a successful relationship. No matter what you have in life, there are going to be moving parts involved. And when moving parts are involved, it's always going to require aftercare. Aftercare. The A of the ABCs is aftercare. What does that mean? It means maintenancing. It means servicing. It means checkups. It means an MOT, if you will. I mean, to think that you're going to meet a good friend, 
or marry the right person, and there'll be no maintenance whatsoever involved in the future, you'll soon find that failure will be at the door. It's part of it. Relationships are no different than machines. They have to have checkups. They have to have evaluations. They have to have inspections. And sometimes those inspections often reveal things that have been left alone, things that have gotten loose within the relationship. So I go to Romans chapter 12 tonight as we look. And Romans in chapter 12 and in verse 9, the, the Bible tells us this. It says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Now, we're going to focus on the word cleave in just a moment, but I'm going to give you an introduction on this first few words. But the word dissimulation comes from a Greek word, which literally means hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy is literally defined as a play actor, someone playing a role, playing a part, okay? So that's what the word dissimulation means. So when someone plays a role, like, a, like an actor on a stage, an actor doing this and that, that, that is what hypocrisy is. They're, they're, it's, a false, it's a false image of who they are. So when the Bible says, let love be without dissimulation, what that means is, let your love be unfeigned, undisguised. Let it be sincere. Our love, guys, for one another in our relationships must be pure. Our love for one another and our relationships, they must be honest. They must be without hypocrisy. They must, be, they must be solid and full and faithful. What happens in relationships is that over time, over time, guys, complacency enables these things to creep in. These areas of our relationship that are in dire need of addressing, uh, things that need to be tightened up, they begin to fall short. And that's what brings us to the next word, the word I want to focus on, and that's the word cleave. The word cleave comes from the Greek word koleo. Koleo means it is defined as glue or to glue together or to cement or to fasten together. And this is where we're getting our idea of addressing the loosening areas in our life. We need to fasten them together. We need to cement them. You know, within the nuts and bolts of a relationship, guys, things need to be tightened up. They need to be square and true. When I used to stabilize cervical fractures or stabilize a surgical procedure, such as an open reduction, internal fixation, uh, C1, C2 fracture, things like that, or we even had this one procedure. I worked with a neurosurgeon who designed, who uh, um, he created a procedure called a corpectomy. And a corpectomy was the removal of a vertebral body, all right, and, and then he would take a cadaver fibula, all right, and he would take that cadaver fibula. And I would have the head and neck under traction with this device. I'm going to show you in a moment here. And he would hammer this fibula inside there. And that would be a cervical fusion between those areas. But it would save people's life. It would fix them. He was a remarkable man, remarkable man. But we would use a device called a halo. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a halo. It's a graphite ring with an open, open posteriorly. It's got four titanium skull pins uh, with carbon graphite uprights or pylons attached to a, a body vest, Okay. Now, here's the kicker. When that halo is on, it's fixing the fracture, it's fixing the damage. The fun thing about it is the very same tool that fastens the superstructure of the halo is also the same tool that I would put the skull pens in. 
So once you would get those things on there, you get the uprights on there, you would take 20 inch pounds or 2.02 newton meters of torque to fasten down the superstructure. I mean, hard. Torque, the amount of torque. So it breaks. It hits that one level. So it hits the, the position you got it set out, say 20 inch pounds, and it breaks away. It won't tighten up anymore. Now, the skull pans are a little bit different animal. Guess what happens if you put 2.02 newton meters into someone's skull? It breaks, okay? All right, and it doesn't do well at all. So what we would do from that, what we would do from that with the skull pens, okay, is we would put those in, I would, I would screw them in, and they go into certain areas to avoid any type of neurological innervation, and we'd be on the latter half of the eyebrow right here, just about an inch above or two centimeters above, and then the same thing right here, the latter third of the year, about two centimeters above. And we'd take the pins, and I would screw them in just like that. I'd break the skin. I'd do the same thing on the other side right there. Then I'd take my handy-dandy little tool out, set it nine-inch pounds for the average adult, if it's a pediatric child, if it's a child, it's one inch pound per age until the age of five, then they go to six pounds. If it's a geriatric patient with brittle bones, then you would do, it would go to six inch pounds. But beyond that, it's always nine inch pounds. And I would take that and I would turn it and turn it and turn it. It'd break the skin. It would break the outer surface of the skull. It would get inside there and it hit that nine and then there we go. Then I go around over here, do the same thing, go around here, do the same thing, and we would lock them down. So no matter whether it was a corpectomy, no matter whether it was an open reduction or internal fixation, or whether it was just a C2 fracture that we're stabilizing and viewing it via a fluoroscope, we lock them down in the halo. Surgery done, patients anesthetized, patients under, uh, under the influence, they wake up in the recovery room, hurting everywhere, and they're put into a room. And then guess what happens 24 hours later? Well, nothing. I send them all the way. I never see them again for 12 weeks. I just take it off. You think that's what happens? No. 24 hours later, you know, the neurosurgeon with a God complex who, you know, everybody, he did a great thing. I get to show up. Hey, what's up? You know, I'm BJ. I'm the dude that play. Yeah, I fixed you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you're not anesthetized, you have no pain medicine hardly at all, I'm going to retighten those things. You know why? Because now they're loose. So just imagine with me. Here I come. Oh, I know. Click. And that sounds like right there, a bomb exploding in their brain. Four times in the skull, they're calling me every name under the book. And then I flip it over, same little tool, tighten it down to 20, and I get up underneath them and I turn 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 and I tighten it all down. Let me ask you a question tonight. Why do you suppose you do that? Why go back and retighten 24 hours later? Why do you think it's vitally important for that particular patient who just had a life-threatening injury for me to come back and retighten everything? Is it painful? Excruciating painful. Follow up with them every two weeks after that. 12-week period typically, everything's healed, enough to take it off, put them in a cervical collar. But I want you to think about this for a second. What if someone with a type 2 Hangman's fracture, which is the fracture of the odontoid, the little process that's sticking up off C2 through the C1, with a 40 millimeter of pedicle screw all the way through there to, to, to tighten that fracture down, to reduce that fracture, what do you think happens if that begins to move? Paralysis or death? I had a patient one time, young girl, 
got in a fight with someone, and they were fighting like this, two ladies, two women, and they were rucking back and forth and with their heads. My 30th birthday, as a matter of fact, my 30th birthday. Only time I was ever called out of the pulpit for the hospital. It kicked back and forth. She lost her footing. She fell forward. Head went back into extension and rotation. It was the first what's called a type 2C Hamas fracture that I'd ever seen. The neurosurgeon, who's a friend of mine that I was working with that day, uh, he had seen one 12 years prior to that in the LSU emergency room. Very rare. You know why it's so rare to see on the x-ray going into the OR? Because it's usually, it results in death. Only a handful ever make it. Put it all together, got her, we reduced it down. It was, a, it was a work of art. Went back, saw her the next day. I said, ma'am, I'm here to do X, Y, Z. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be painful. Grit your teeth, do whatever you need to do. Hit your pain pump. I said, but we have to do this today for, to preserve what we've done and what work we've committed. She called me every name in the book. She wanted me dead. She cursed my family. I mean, she wanted, it was, and I don't blame her. She was in pain. Follow up with her two weeks later, she shows up in my office, all right? Take her in the room. I'm inspecting everything. Did not look good. Didn't look good at all. I said, are you cleaning the pen sites? Yep, I'm cleaning the pen sites. Are you cleaning the vest? Yes, I'm cleaning the vest. I said, let me just check a few things here. And I could take my fingers and twist the pen screws. And Natalie, I looked at her and I said, you're doing something. This doesn't happen. I said, guess what we're getting ready to do? She goes, no, we're not. I said, yes, we are. And I loosened the lock nut, and I took my handy-dandy tool out that had been calibrated recently, and she got another nine-inch pound through her skull right there in my office, and another 20 in the superstructure. Two weeks later, seven days later, I had her come back in a week later, inspect it again. Same thing. I have done thousands of these procedures. So I sat her down, and I said, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't need to know. But I'll guarantee you right now, it's going to stop. What do you mean? I said, I mean, whatever you're doing at home ceases today. And I walked out. I got my wheelchair, same one that dude stole. I got my wheelchair. I brought it into the room. I opened it up. And I sat here. I said, I need you to sit here. And she just got in there. I said, I said how do you like that? It was an old wheelchair, mind you. It was one of the ones that, it was ugly. It was old, you know. And so I sat there with her. I said, How's that feel? Well, it's quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Arms are pretty high, aren't they? Yeah, I don't really like this. I said, well, that's going to be your life or that casket out there if you don't stop doing what you're doing. She turned about three shades of white. I said, guess what we get to do? She goes, oh, please, no. I said, no, we're doing it. And I retightened them down once more. Locked her down. Followed up with her for seven days, twice. Not, it wasn't budging. That thing was locked and loaded for the next 11 weeks. And then we took it off and downgraded her to a cervical collar. Guys, why do you think we tighten those things down? We're tightening those things down to reduce the friction within the fracture and the shear that is going on inside the body to protect the work that had been done and allow that body to heal like it needs to. Relationships are no different. When there's an excessive amount of movement in a relationship because things hadn't been tightened down, it causes friction. What does friction cause? It causes heat. What is shear cause? You know what shear is? Shear is two pieces of material moving laterally against one another. And shear causes breakdown. And you know what happens to the relationship? Paralysis or death. We've got to tighten up what is loosened, beloved. 
We got to protect the work and guard the procedures and help it to grow. That's the part A, the aftercare. Quickly, a successful relationship sets boundaries. Back to Romans in chapter 12 and verse 9. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation. We've already talked about what it means. Uh, it, you know, it means to be, it's, it means your love should be unfeigned, undisguised. It should be sincere. And in other words, your love needs to be real. When love is without dissimulations, boundaries are set in life, both inside and outside of the relationship. In a marriage, for instance, Jesus Christ says, uh, um, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. In any kind of relationship when boundaries are set, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, in verse 13, he says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Let all, all of your things be done, watch this, with charity. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth us and laboreth. To quit ye like men means to be brave. All of us need to be brave in the midst of a relationship. Doing your things with charity. That word charity comes from, there's three words for love in the Greek language. This one here is translated charity correctly because it comes from the Greek word agape or agapeo, which means a sacrificial love. Guys, you know, if I care about my spouse, if I care about my friend, if I'm a true friend, I'm going to do what needs to be done to help them in life, to love them sacrificially. It means it's going to cost. I, I, want to give you, I want to give you an example. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to talk to you about relationships. I'm going to come over here, and we're just going to talk. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about what we talked about tonight, setting boundaries in our life, doing what we need to do. Focusing on where we need to focus on our life, why it's so important in our life, and what we need to do. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about spending quality time with one another, about setting limitations in your life, about what is really and truly important with you in your life. You catch that? So I'm talking about relationships, but what am I telling you is important right now? what's in my right hand. See, the right hand is a hand of power. Please come over here for you, please. Just for a second. Have you a seat right here? I said right hand, so you got to be over there. Yeah. So now I'm going to have the same conversation with you. In your life, you're going to have to set boundaries in your relationships. You're going to have to set limits. You're going to have to do what needs to be done to protect the relationship. You're going to have to have aftercare, maintenance. A relationship needs to be tightened up. Things that are come loose, things that we overlook, things that we forget about, we have to address them. Now, I ask you a question right now. I said the same things just about a minute ago. What's important to me now? What I'm holding to, what I'm focused on. Guys, that's a relationship. It goes the same with friendships. It goes, the, thank you, sweetheart. It goes the same with any kind of relationship out there today. If you're going to have a relationship with someone, you're going to have to take the time to correct the, to have the aftercare. You're going to have to set boundaries in your life. What appears to be important at the present moment is what we hold dear and what grasps my attention. It's what I'm 
lean in on. Think about this like this. Guys, we live in a different world than our parents, all right? I'm the oldest person in here, all right? So we live in a different world. The younger you are today, probably the more detrimental the situation is. Most people in our world today cannot remember a time when they were disconnected from the entire world. The entire world. There was a time when missionaries would go to another country that when their family wanted to speak to them, they wrote this thing called a letter on paper with what this thing is called a pen or a pencil. And they folded it up and put it in an envelope and they stuck this little thing on it called a stamp, all right? And they depended on the postal service to get there in six months. Not so today. We FaceTime, we WhatsApp, we Facebook Messenger, we do whatever we need to do. So technology has become a tremendous, tremendous tool, but it's also caused some of the greatest amount of damages. Studies have revealed that children who overuse technology may be more likely to experience issues such as low academic performance, lack of attention, low creativity, delays in language development, delays in social and emotional development, physical inactivity, obesity, and poor sleep quality. I understand those are not across the boards and those are not all def uh, definites and 100%, but they're more likely to experience those things. But concerning a relationship... Multiple studies recently have revealed that technology has become one of the top 10 conflicts of marriages. Same report revealed that out of 25% of couples or partners who were distracted by their mobile phones said that 10% of them were involved in an argument as a result of the mobile phones or distraction. Another study revealed that distraction as a destructive cause in relationships stated that the use of smartphones and increasing distracting most couples that they cannot spend time together with each other. Cannot, it said. Not, would not, cannot. Well, the communication has broken down in our society. And, as, and it is many a times a result of technology. It's reported instead of talking face-to-face -face when some of these problems would arise that many couples today would chat or text to each other to try to solve the problem. And it doesn't allow them to fully connect, really and truly to find a resolve or issue or even a bond. I asked you guys last week about us changing the lights so that the screen would show up better. And Emma came up after, she goes, you know, I love the ambience, I loved how it looked, it was all great, but I can't see you. And I should have known this. I've taken more you know, public speaking classes than you can imagine. I should have known this. Why? Because you remember 55% of what you see is compared to 18% of what you hear. You remember what you see a lot of times. I was talking to someone on Friday night. He and I were going over this sermon, actually. It was at, uh, you guys had the game night, so I was kind of straggling around the gym a little bit longer than I normally would. So me and a a buddy were talking. Jim was closed. There were still people there, but it was closed. And we got talking about this. And he says, you know what? And I, and I, won't, I won't call names, but he said, you know what? He goes, him and his wife, he says, we have a rule. If our dinner plates are in hand, our phones are in the kitchen. I said, man, that's good. If we're sat down at dinner, whether it be in the living room, the table, whatever, the phones are away. Because if we have our phones with us, we're going to look at them. But that dinner plate, that dinner time, meal time. That's our time together. There was a study published in 2021 by the Center of Generational Kinetics that found that 56% 50, of users believe social media enabled the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out trend. 45% of young adults reported they experienced the fear of missing out. However, here's the caveat of that study. 
when asked what they were afraid or what they feared they were missing out on, they couldn't name it. It was just this idiopathic fear of missing something, but they didn't know what they were missing. Today, technology has made it easier for people to avoid vulnerability, to, be un- to have uncomfortable emotions. Guys, uncomfortable emotions are good. They're good. It's good to sit down across the table with your spouse or with your best friend and then hear something that really makes you uncomfortable, but you need to hear. To experience what you see in their face, the compassion, the love, the the desire for you to be better and for the relationship to be better. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. You know, boundaries, you know the problem that people have with limitations and boundaries today? Is they think it's inhibiting them. They think boundaries, setting limits in your life, people believe that you're trying to take their liberty away. You're trying to remove fun from their life. Guys, the guardrails on the mountain road, they're not trying to take your fun away because there ain't nothing fun about tossing over a mountain in a car, okay? There's no liberty lost when there are protective devices on the road. And beloved, I'm here to tell you tonight, if you're sitting down with a friend, put the phone away. That's the easiest thing to pick on because we're all susceptible to it. Have a conversation with them rather than that. Husbands and wives, same thing. There should be a limitation. There should be a boundary in the home when those things go away. Guys, and the reason I'm saying this, why bring this up? Because everyone listening to my voice tonight are susceptible to it. Within the relationship, whether it's a friend, whether it's a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, coworker, whatever it may be, what you hold is what is important to you. And our actions speak long before and long after our words cease. Boundaries must be set up. If you want your relationship to grow, set limitations, set boundaries on the amount of time, whatever takes you away from one another. I'm running, I'm running closely on time tonight, but I want to tell this one particular study or story, and then we're going to close with one final point. I've been preaching since 1997, and, and as if you can't tell, I'm a data junkie. I, like, I love reading studies. I, I, I just, you know, I'm a nerd when it comes to that. When I started preaching, I was a young man, um, and I started reading trends. And what we found by the late 90s, that there was a trend of 45 to like 49-year-olds, okay? That wouldn't be midlife necessarily, but 45 to 49-year-olds, there was a rapid increase of divorce, massive. I mean, it jumped up huge. And nobody could figure it out. They couldn't figure out why, man, you've been together for 25 years. You've been together for 30 years. You've raised kids, they're off, and man, what in the world, you know? Go buy a Corvette, man. Go, go start Pilates. You know, what, what's going on? And finally, they begin to evaluate well, how the marriages started. And here's the, this was another thing that was so peculiar, was that all of the marriages, you know, people say, if you want to end right, you got to start right. And I get that, I understand it. But they came from all different prospects or perspectives. You know, some have great starts, some have bad starts, but all of them had these, there was not hardly any of them that were identical. And they found one common ground, one common ground. When they were interviewed how they raised their children, They said it was our life. 
Everything we did revolved around our children. Sports, clubs, activities, school, dances, everything under the sun, and they were pulled left and right. Their job was raising the children. And those children got old, and they moved out, and those husbands and wives sat there in the chair next to one another with the telly on, having zero to talk about. No common ground. 26 years this coming November, we've been married. And one of the things that we set in stone before we married, now mind you, as you heard last night, there wasn't a whole lot of time in between meeting one another and marrying one another. It was kind of, it's ridiculous if you want to be honest. I mean, but it, it just is. But she's my first ministry. My, my life is devoted to her primarily. Her life is devoted to me primarily. Our lives together was devoted to the raising of our children, but I never started da stopped dating my wife. I believe in keeping the honey in the honeymoon, and she believes the same thing. So our focus had to be on one another in order for our focus to be successful on our children. Because now I have no more teenagers. My youngest one is the, you know, the little blondie over there who's 20, should be 21 here in June. You know, two of our boys are already, uh, they moved back to the States. Our other boy, our youngest boy, he's in the, the British military. He's with us now. He's sick tonight, by the way. Keep him in, in your prayers. Uh, but he'll be going back here in a few weeks, trying to hold on to her as long as possible. But can you imagine raising four children that close together all those years, doing everything that we did between baseball, football, church, farm, everything, and now they're gone? If the labor would not have been, if the boundaries would not have been set, if the aftercare wouldn't have been performed, can you imagine what we would have been like? Do you know what the results of that would be? I would fail you. If I don't take care of her and she doesn't take care of me, we can't take care of them. And if we can't take care of them and us, we can't take care of you. You see how they all come together? Relationships, guys, they're the same. Whether it's mine and Tim's relationship, whether it's mine and Denise's relationship, yeah, they have different outcomes and purposes, but the fundamentals are the same. There's got to be aftercare. There's got to be boundaries. And lastly tonight, and I'll move quickly, we'll be done, is that successful relationships are going to have a course. They're going to have a course of action. Romans 12, 10, and 11 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Within the basic construct of a Christian relationship, we are to simply be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, preferring one another. The Bible also says to esteem one another better than themselves. That's Christian ideology, guys. In marriage, men are commanded to love our wives. That's in Ephesians 5. To honor our wives. That's in 1 Peter 3, 7. The wives are, are told to submit and be in subjection. And I understand in the world we live in today, people want to reject that. Guys, if it's Bible, it's Bible. If it's Bible then, it's Bible now. I'm not changing it. But have you ever wondered why the wives wasn't told to love your husbands? Did you know, ladies, that you are a natural nurturer? You are. You know when the storms, when the storms are rolling in Tennessee and it rumbled the house and it was shaking, the lightning's clapping all over the place, and when the kids were real little, 
You know who they came to? They came to daddy. They want to be protected. When they tripped and fell, they went to her. One of the reasons I'd say suck it up, you're all right. So. <laughs> Women, ladies are natural nurturers. They have a natural ability to care, a natural ability to, to love, to have compassion, to have this intuition that men simply do not have. And it, it's a sw- the sweet side of a lady is that God has blessed mankind with to complete the marriage. To, come to, f- to finish the circle. Each role inside of a relationship, be it a marriage or be it a friendship, serves in an equal capacity to complete the relationship, both in marriage and friendship. Sometimes it will require more, okay, for you to do, just like we saw in our opening text, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But they, they, they by all means are symbiotic one of another. We depend one on another. It is a bond that cannot survive without each other. But again, the breakdown of society is a result of the breakdown of the human relationship that has been defined by God, our creator. When we prefer one another, just think about it under common sense. When we prefer one another, the relationship grows. It develops into a unity like another. It works together, it functions at an optimal level, and the success, because of all the moving parts within a relationship, the nuts and bolts, if you will. When they're tightened, listen to this, to spec level, not over-tightened and not under-tightened, but when they're tightened to spec level, the relationship works optimally. It works freely. It works fully, and it works faithfully. And that's simply tonight is the nuts and bolts of a successful relationship when you bow your heads. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here tonight. Thank you for the message, Father. I pray that we will be not distracted, Lord, by the time. But I ask of you this evening, please grant now, dear Lord, the open hearts and open minds to soak this up tonight. And I pray, dear Lord, in our life that we would expect, would, would inspect our relationships, that we would have aftercare to look into the maintenance and find that which is loose and tighten it up. Whether it's a relationship with our spouses, a relationship with our friends, a relationship with our children, whatever it may be, to just tighten those areas up. Help us set boundaries, Father, especially when it comes to technology, but whatever may be distracting us or helping us lose communication, Father, help us set those limits in our life. Lord, help us develop a course of action, and I pray that it's rooted and grounded in love, that it's rooted and grounded in preferring one another, and esteeming one another better than ourselves. And Lord, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.